FreedomSlips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We gotta stop them. They're gonna kill us all. See how the trouble you've started? Be they the Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You call down the thunder, well now you've got it. Right. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio! We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyalty? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we took that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Okay, good, good, morning. good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Free Association. Uh, a hastily constructed show today, but we'll see how it goes. It, it looks like it might work, and that's good enough for me. Uh, I've been busy this week, though, so I've had other things to, to think about. So I, I gave it today as a, a place to... Con- normally, I construct the show sometime Thursday, Friday, and then I do a kind of rehearsal, a technical rehearsal or whatever, on a Saturday morning for me, just to make sure I've got all, everything in order. But I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't really done that with these with this particular material, so... We'll just see how it goes anyway. Uh, it's four o'clock in the afternoon where I am, which means 
It's 11 a.m. on the East Coast in the States. Uh, free associations here every Saturday morning. And we do, we're running a theme at the moment. I've got a, I've got a eugenics theme running for the last three weeks. Started with Johnny Mitchell and then went through Genesis of the Daleks last Saturday, which seems like a lifetime ago to me. And today uh, I've got a show lined up uh, about the, mostly about the Welcome Trust, various different aspects of the Welcome Trust. Uh, I think called Welcome Leap, which is an investment fund. That well, That's what it looks like to me anyway, a research and development investment fund to bring technology to bring health technology to market is what it looks like. Uh, there's been some stories floating around in the alternative media about Welcome Leap uh, <clears throat> and associating it with eugenics and transhumanism. And I think, yeah, probably it could be, it can legitimately be associated with transhumanism because if you're adding some kind of medical device to a person, that's a version of transhumanism but people have had prosthetic arms and legs for years is that does that count as transhumanism if a medical device is a medical device i thought transhumanism was more to do with uploading consciousness into the cloud or or whatever uh but as the association is definitely there the eugenics association comes from the history of the Eugenics Society, which is now part of the, I think, part of the Welcome Trust. At least they've got the archives. So I'm, I'm going to read through a little bit of what's in the archive. Uh, I'm interested in this partly because I used to walk past the Welcome Trust almost every day when I lived in London 20 years ago. It's on the corner of Euston Road and Gower Street, I think, by by Euston Square Underground Station. So it's a big building with a an open front and an atrium and a, an art gallery. And obviously they've got they've got offices upstairs and they've got archives presumably at the back and in the basement. That's usually where the archives for everything go. Uh, but uh, I've never been in to that particular building despite the fact that I've walked past it 100,000 times. So I might put it on my list. If I ever do go back to London as a, on a visit or whatever, I'll put it on my list of places to go. I'd quite like to rummage around in the, in the Eugenics Society archive if I get the opportunity. But So that leads me nicely into what's actually in the Eugenics Society archive, which I've got here. So here we go. So let me get to the beginning. So I'll just read what it says because this is on welcomecollection.org and it's it's where the the Eugenics Society archives have ended up being stored. So if anybody wants to do research, none of this none of this stuff seems to be hidden. It's all it's all if you had a legitimate research reason for being there, they would let you go in and have a look by by appointment, I would assume. Um, so I'll just read what this says. Uh, it says the initial deposit sections A to K. It's, more, it's very dry. This stuff, but 
consists mainly of correspondence and associated papers, leaflets, memoranda, extracts from minutes, etc. There are two main series of correspondence, people and general, and some other distinct smaller series such as branches and other societies. The internal arrangement of these files is normally chronological with a few exceptions. There are also lecturers report sheets, publications, slides, posters, charts and photographs. Mainly but not exclusively in section G, which is propaganda and publicity. It's a set of annual reports and related material from 19, 1908 up to 1979. So that's probably the main interesting stuff is the annual reports for what's that about 70 years, just over 70 years. It says in 1988, minute books and the society's extensive collection of press cuttings plus some financial records were added as sections L to N. Further annual reports, minutes and other meeting papers have been received subsequently and additional files of for, of, on former members and various administrative matters were received in 2008. And there's some minutes and bequests on the, on the Mary Stopes Research Fund in there as well. So, there's a little bit. Of, there's a long list of things of sections in. So annual reports is section A. Section B is early files, 1908 to 1919. Section C is people, 1919 to 2006. Section D is general, 1919 to 2004. And then there's some sections on society, associated societies family histories, propaganda and publicity, bequests, uh, some Bernard Mallet papers. I don't know who Sir Bernard Mallet is, but I'll, I'll find out at some point. Uh, some miscellaneous stuff. Minutes of bodies associated with the Eugenics Society. Sections L62 to 67. Financial reports, press cuttings, portraits and photographs. Papers of Dr. G.C. Bertram, 1945 to 1991. I don't know who Dr. G.C. Bertram is either, but uh, his papers are in there. The Galton Institute newsletter and other publications in Section Q. So the bulk of these papers were collected from the British Museum, British Library, where they had been initially deposited in February 1980. A few miscellaneous items, slides, charts, photographs were collected from the society's offices in March 1980, consisting of additional boxes, a paper and a set of annual reports and related items. Uh, collected from Eccleston Square. Blah, uh, blah, blah, I don't need to really read all of this stuff. And the bi biographical stuff at the bottom here. The Eugenics Society was founded under the name Eugenics Education Society in 1907 to promote public awareness of eugenics problems, i.e. existence of hereditary qualities, both positive and negative, and the need to encourage social responsibility with respect to these qualities. 
unlike the Galton lab laboratory, which was also inspired by the teachings of Sir Francis Galton and founded in 1904, the Eugenics Society was a popular rather than scientific institution. Although its aims and objects varied during the years and in 1963, it abandoned propaganda on being granted charitable status. So 1963 is the year where it stopped being a promotions arm of, of something. And beside its involvement in theoretical aspects of eugenics, the society was also interested in the practical means by which eugenics ideals could be attained. So these records contain a good deal of material on subjects such as treatments of the mentally and physically defective, the development of birth control methods, legislation of sterilization, the use of artificial insemination, etc. A large number of people in all stations of life, some of them very distinguished, were involved with the society. Uh, and section C people has all the details of those people. A uh, society changed its name to the Galton Institute in 1989. And then it says for a fuller treatment of the history of the Eugenics Society, see Faith Schenk and A.S. Parks, the activities of the Eugenics Society in the Eugenics Review, number 60, published in 1968, pages 142 to 161. For the early years of the Society, see L.A. Farrell, the origins and growth of English eugenics movement, 1863 to 1925, uh, which is an unpublished PhD thesis uh, from Indiana University in 1970. And there's a, a file called Notes on the Early Days of, U of the Eugenics Education Society by Lady Chalmers. Okay, so that's the relevant material, lots of stuff on microfiche and a lot of boxes. So that's really what the archive consists of at the Wellcome Trust. And moving on from that, I've got uh, Wellcome Leap, which has been a, around in, in the alternative media for a little while. I've got a piece from uh, the Corbett Report in July of this year, 2021, which I've got set up, which is the Wellcome Leap into Transhumanism. So I'm now going to play that for about about half an hour, probably maybe 25 minutes, half an hour. Uh, it's got Whitney Webb describing all of the people that are involved in Welcome Leap, who've got a, a colourful history. This article that we're going to be talking about today uh, touches on this whole other okay let's try again I think I got bumped off so uh, I'll start my recording again right this shouldn't shouldn't really affect the show too much I'll just screen share and go straight into the video again Oh, stuck. 
Screen share it yet again, and then off we go. But the fact that they are targeting uh, children specifically and plan to target them in a massive way uh, within 10 years is just stunning. Um, and I think shows that these people really think um, they cannot be stopped. And it's really, you know, uh, I would argue up to um, concerned parents and concerned citizens um, to protect the most vulnerable from this type of invasive technology. You're listening to the Corbett Report. Welcome back, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com, in a conversation that's being recorded on the 6th of July, 2021. And I'd like to think that Corbett Report listeners are particularly well-situated to understand the otherwise seemingly bizarre left term that the generated COVID crisis has taken in recent months with this bio-digital convergence and transhumanism talk and all of these crazy ideas that are coming about as a result of this. I, As I say, I'd like to think that if you've been listening to my report for years or a decade or a decade and a half, you will have seen this coming um, because, of course, biodigital convergence is just the old wine of transhumanism in a new bottle, and transhumanism was just the old wine of eugenics in a new bottle, um, coined, of course, by the brother of uh, Brave New World author Aldous Huxley, a.k.a. Julian Huxley, who, uh, in addition to being a card-carrying eugenicist, was also the founder of UNESCO, talking about how we need to make eugenics a politically acceptable idea again. As I say, you will know all of that history if you have gone into my reports on this in the past. But even so, even if you were on some level prepared for this left turn, it is getting extremely crazy extremely quickly perhaps more so than people can even keep a handle on and mia culpa me too i i i have to say this article that we're going to be talking about today uh touches on this whole other institution slash set of programs that i didn't even have on my radar until i read this article so i think this it serves your interest to read it. Today we're going to be talking about the latest article from Whitney Webb at unlimitedhangout.com, which I hope you are checking on a regular basis. If not, you will want to read this article in particular. It's called A Leap Toward Humanity's Destruction. And Whitney, your articles are known for being voluminous and detailed. And boy, this article does not disappoint on that front. So thank you for writing this. And thank you for introducing us to Welcome leap now as as i say this is such a big article there's so much data in here that we should and could dig our teeth into but so i, I think there are three different ways that we can start to approach this topic we could start with the cast of characters and outline who these people are and their shady backgrounds and where they're coming from we can talk about the welcome leap itself and what it is and its relation to the welcome trust which we, we were talking a little bit about in our previous conversation about astrazeneca or we could talk about the programs 
that are being forwarded under welcome leap. And I think either any one of those would serve as an entree into this conversation. What would you like to start with? Um, well, what I started with in the article was the cast of characters, because I think it uh, it shows when you look into their background specifically that um, their professed desire through Welcome Leap, this new organization they've made to uh, improve global public health and all of these things um, are not exactly what they claim uh, to be. Um, but, you know, um, we can definitely talk about the first two of those uh, together in sort of a, a reduced way, because as you did uh, point out, this article uh, is quite long, but it, it, it is that way because I was hoping to extensively document it that other people can make summaries and whatnot just to have as much, you know, detail and documentation there for people that want that. Um, of course, it's not, <laughs> not for everyone. Um, but essentially, uh, for people that don't know the Wellcome Trust, it's uh, the world's wealthiest uh, private medical research charity that was created uh, uh, through the will of Henry Wellcome, who was a pharmaceutical magnate um, whose company Burroughs Wellcome um, eventually went through several mergers to now become what is now GlaxoSmithKline. Um, so GlaxoSmithKline, more often than not, uh, will have ties to uh, the Wellcome Trust and in terms of research and other initiatives, and you can see some of those uh, connections in, in this article. Um, but the Wellcome Trust has had, uh, even going back to the 1990s, there was a Sunday Times investigation into the Wellcome Trust, just about the extreme uh, power and influence this had, particularly in, in the fields of genetics and bioengineering, with the Sunday Times saying back then that the decisions the Wellcome Trust make will shape the future of the human race uh, for years and decades to come. And that was back in 1994. Um, and of course, this institution has been around since uh, Henry Welcome died in 1936. Um, and um, as we talked about last time, yes, uh, they did have some connections, several connections uh, to the AstraZeneca um, Oxford vaccine, but also the organization known today as the Galton Institute, which was previously the Eugenic Society and maintained that name until 1989, uh, when it changed to the Galton Institute, claiming that it no longer favored eugenics, but oddly renamed themselves after the founder of eugenics, uh, Francis Galton, who instead of uh, labeling a racist eugenicist, they describe as a brilliant 19th century polymath. So that can sort of tell you about their um, their, their opinions of that um, particular field. But basically, the wel what Welcome Leap is, is a team up of the Welcome Trust with uh, uh, two individuals that used to run uh, DARPA under the Obama administration, uh, and both of whom later went on to create DARPA equivalents for Silicon Valley at Google and Facebook, basically creating privatized DARPA uh, for Silicon Valley, specifically Silicon Valley companies whose early origins have ties to the US national security state, uh, Google having received considerable funding and input from the CIA in its founding, and uh, Facebook having considerable ties to uh, DARPA itself, among other things, which I've detailed in a previous um, article. So um, those ties are quite concerning. And then of course, the Wellcome Trust um, in addition to its uh, dominance, really, of medical research globally, uh, also works very closely with the World Economic Forum and was actually uh, the mastermind behind well, uh, the Wellcome Trust uh, and World Economic Forum's team up with the Nuclear Threat Initiative, uh, which, if you're not familiar with that, um, it was co-created uh, by Ted Turner, another uh, depopulation-promoting billionaire 
who uh, owns CNN, and the um, <clears throat> the other founder is uh, former Senator Sam Nunn, who, um, if you are familiar with the Dark Winter exercise from June 2001 that eerily predicted the 2001 anthrax attacks, you will know that Sam Nunn uh, basically led that exercise, <laughs> pretending, you know, playing the role of president uh, in that simulation. Um, and of course, um, in, in NTI's role in this partnership with Wealth, uh, WEF and the, and the Wellcome Trust is actually funded by a former Facebook executive, one of the co-founders of Facebook, Duskin Muscovitz. So uh, it's quite interesting to see uh, these players uh, come up more often than not um, in what Welcome Leap uh, is and does. And so Welcome Leap officially defines themselves as a global health DARPA, a DARPA for health. It's no coincidence that this launched around the same time that uh, the Biden administration, or that this came, uh, has become more um, prominent, has been, has been launching more programs. It was created last year. But the Biden administration in the past couple months has promoted the creation of a health DARPA for the US specifically, HARPA, which is actually an agenda uh, that goes back to the Trump administration uh, and was being designed and created by a former uh, DARPA, the former head of DARPA's biological technologies office. So Welcome Leap is basically a global uh, research agency focusing on, on bioengineering and transhumanist tech that is also being modeled by national governments. Um, so this isn't necessarily um, exclusive um, in, in, in that sense, it, um, but it's definitely something to look at. And um, as we can get into in a moment, their projects are um, really astounding in what they uh, claim to achieve within a five to 10 year period, which is quite small, but with the, the, found, uh, the, the influence and the funding of the Wellcome Trust and the, of course the, the um, US military and Silicon Valley connections here um, definitely make this a, a formidable force but of course, it's uh, only really been set up and is just beginning, and their agenda can be stopped if we uh, make it so. Excellent. Well, that's a, that's a very good summary of a lot of information. Um, so again, I hope people will go to the article itself for all of the links and all of the information there. But let's not gloss over the couple of characters that you mentioned there who, as you say, were DARPA uh, officials under Obama who went to Google, went to Facebook. Uh, specifically, we're talking about Regina Dugan and the uh, Gabriel, I forget his name. Ken, Ken Gabriel. Ken Gabriel, mm -hmm. that's right. So let's let's talk a little bit about them and their background. Sure. So uh, Regina Dugan started her career at DARPA, I believe, in 1996. Uh, she leaves in 2001 to become uh, one of the top advisors to the U.S. Army Chief of Staff. Uh, from 2001 to 2003, which of course most people are aware coincides with the invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan, she was advising on counterterrorism uh, issues in, in that scenario. Um, a few years later, she creates a, a defense contracting firm called Red X Defense that gets her into a lot of trouble uh, when she is named director of DARPA uh, under the Obama administration in 2009 uh, because she starts basically giving uh, numerous lucrative contracts to her company uh, when they didn't necessarily deserve them and then is uh, found later um, uh, violating uh, government ethics um, stipulations. Of course, nothing is done, as, as is often the case. But her company, Red X Defense, for example, focused on um, IED uh, detection technology, i.e. roadside bombs, uh, for use in Iraq and Afghanistan. And it was found that their technology was just as useful as flipping a coin, uh, basically meaning it didn't work. Um, 
So this is the type of woman uh, she is in these types of institutions. Her time at DARPA is pretty significant because she founded um, a couple key offices that sort of uh, set what would uh, uh, define her career in subsequent years, such as creating the Transformational Convergence Technology Office. And of course, as you mentioned, this biodigital convergence, transformational convergence is, is quite similar in, in, as, as far as buzzwords go. And this was about uh, this particular office was about combining synthetic biology, uh, machine learning, and social networks specifically. Um, and some of that has since been folded into what is now the Biological Technologies Office or BTO of DARPA that focuses on a lot of um, biotech and transhumanist tech and neurotechnology that is health focused, uh, they say more often than not. But I would argue, at least in the context of today's events, um, Dugan's most important contribution at DARPA was her decision to green light DARPA's investments in, in, uh, in the uh, mRNA vaccine uh, production platforms of both Pfizer and Moderna, which uh, ended up taking place in 2013. She left in 20, uh, 2012, but had green lighted those investments before they were made. And uh, the program manager at DARPA that worked with Dugan on this, Dan Wattendorf, uh, now is, I think, head for in innovation of special solutions or something like that um, at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So again, <laughs> just amazing how um, you know cohesive uh, the players. Small are, world, uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, she's basically headhunted from DARPA in 2012 um, by Google uh, and uh, ends up heading Google's Advanced Technology Products Group, uh, abbreviated as ATAP or ATAP, uh, which was basically Google um, acquired um, Motorola Mobility from Motorola and wanted to basically uh, use that company's um, assets to create their own DARPA, essentially. And that's what uh, ATAP, Google's ATAP is, and Dugan was put in charge. Uh, but it was actually Dugan's deputy, Ken Gabriel, who is now chief operating uh, officer of Welcome Leap, that created uh, that group for Google, and then Dugan uh, was put in charge which is quite interesting because especially now with Welcome Leap, you can see that that Dugan and, and Gabriel's careers tend to uh, uh, intersect at various uh, times throughout history. Um, so why she's at Google, uh, Dugan is involved in, in developing a lot of um, controversial things, including uh, a digital pill that uh, when you swallow it, turns your whole body into an authentication token. Um, and some uh, media reports said it turns you into a cyborg sort of, um, and all of this stuff while also fawning over, over Dugan. Um, but basically, um, you know, she also was responsible for um, developing a digital tattoo uh, used to unlock smartphones. Uh, not unlike, of course, uh, some people, of course, are probably familiar with the Bob Langer uh, developed, uh, or maybe it was MIT developed, but not Bob Langer, uh, but the digital tattoo for vaccine records and stuff like that that was promoted um, uh, last year. So, you know, um, this whole thing, of course, of vaccine passports and vaccine records being tied uh, to digital biometric IDs and all of that is, is an agenda that's come to the forefront um, in recent months. So it's interesting to see Dugan's role in that. And then um, she also created the basis for uh, what is now Google's augmented reality or AR business and uh, smart clothing called Project uh, Jackard. Uh, which is basically weaving multi-touch sensors and conductive wiring into textiles. They have partnered with Levi Jeans. <laughs> uh, so that's fun. 
And she basically describes her work at Google as solving what she describes as the mechanical mismatch uh, between humans and, and machines. It really doesn't get more transhumanist than that. And while she's serving uh, in this capacity at Google, she uh, is leading panels at the Clinton Global Initiative and attending Bilderberg meetings with Eric Schmidt, who was her boss then and has been a major player in determining uh, US national uh, artificial intelligence policy for both the military and the intelligence community, um, oddly enough. So uh, Dugan eventually gets headhunted again from uh, Google, goes to work for Facebook, where uh, she basically uh, leads and, and helps build Facebook's own DARPA equivalent, uh, then called Building 8. They have since renamed it something else. Um, the project uh, she started there was the creation of a what they describe as a neural wearable, um, essentially a wrist brand, a wristband that from your wrist can read your brain signals, know what you're going to type before you even move your fingers, um, among other things. Um, and actually, Facebook has uh, showcased prototypes of this, uh, two different prototypes, a few months ago, and claim that they will have it. Uh, available in a couple years. They claim that it won't be able to read your brain, even though they basically say that what it does is read your, your brain signals, just only some of them. Um, trust Facebook as much as you want with that type of access um, to your body. I know I certainly uh, won't be. But anyway, Dugan eventually leaves Facebook mysteriously just 18 months after joining and, and building uh, building eight to focus on building and leading a new endeavor, which we later find out is actually Welcome Leap. Um, and so that's essentially um, what Dugan's been up to in a, in a nutshell since uh, becoming the chief executive officer of Welcome Leap. She has also joined the Council on Foreign Relations Task Force on U.S. technology and innovation policy alongside uh, Eric Schmidt, uh, LinkedIn's Reid Hoffman, and some other um, prominent individuals, including uh, Biden's top science advisor, head of the uh, Broad Institute, uh, Eric Lander, who, of course, was funded by Jeffrey Epstein, among other uh, unsettling connections there. Whew, that was... Uh... Quite a whirlwind tour, and again, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, well, it's all there, and it, there's links to back up each and every part of this. And I, I have actually had Regina Dugan on my radar for several years now because of that DARPA Facebook, and well, we're going to read your mind and all of this. I mean, it's just a right. crazy story. I didn't know all of the details of that though, and it's just it gets crazier the more you know. And here she ends up at Welcome Leap, um, developing. Again, uh, it's almost as if, you know, the World Economic Forum stakeholder capitalism, uh, public-private partnership ideal is at play here. We have the best of all worlds, oh, the yeah. philanthropic world, the, the corporate for-profit world, and the public world is nexusing in here with these, What I mean, what is someone like a Dugan or a Gabriel? They, they are government employees, they are for-profit, they're at these philanthropic institutions, they're inter interfacing with all these other people at Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and everywhere else. It is just a group, a group of people who are in public or private business as the need arises for their cover for the next stage of an agenda that is clearly unfolding here. What's your take on well, what Welcome Leap represents in terms of that nexus of philanthropic slash profit slash public enterprises? Um, I think what Welcome Leap is, is a way to supercharge and rapidly advance um, this type of technology that uh, the ruling class that is behind this agenda feels like it needs to develop 
sooner rather than later in order to succeed in accomplishing what they want to accomplish before 2030, which is a year that comes up again and again, including in Welcome Leap, uh, but also in various other uh, related agendas and policy documents focusing on that year specifically. And of course, Welcome Leap, created in 2012, aims to complete all of its projects uh, by 2030. Uh, they make that quite quite explicit. So I think um, by combining, uh, by having it led by someone like uh, Regina Dugan and Ken Gabriel, who really more than anyone else um, embody the revolving uh, door between the military industrial complex and Silicon Valley, which has become much more um, over, over time. You have those connections, you have uh, the Welcome Trust and someone, uh, specifically Jeremy Farrar at the Welcome Trust, who has been intimately involved with a lot of uh, the crafting of, of the uh, narrative uh, for COVID-19, particularly the zoonotic origin narrative with uh, uh, people like Peter Daszak and, and Anthony Fauci actually appearing uh, as one of the most heavily redacted individuals in the recently released Fauci emails, uh, ostensibly the head of this charitable trust um, being intimately um, involved in that is quite significant. And then also there is another individual that is quite important to point out who is Jay Flatley, uh, the longtime head of Illumina, whose company um, that he uh, still has a lot of influence over as their um, the chairman of the board of directors completely dominates uh, genetic testing and genome sequencing. Uh, most companies that you may have heard of that offer genetic sequencing like 23andMe or the recently acquired by Blackstone Capital, Ancestry.com, uh, rely on machines produced by uh, Illumina, um, as do you know pretty much all of these uh, medical research things uh, or institutions that are sequencing the new COVID variants and, and doing all of this genomic uh, study on, on people uh, from their COVID-19 test results, among other things. This is all being done by Illumina, which um, oddly enough, uh, <laughs> this year represents the conclusion of their aggressive five-year plan uh, launched in 2016 to make uh, gene uh, testing uh, the new norm in medicine uh, with the ultimate goal of having all individuals genetically tested from birth to grave, not just for health purposes, but also useful commercial purposes, whatever that may be. Um, so. You know, these are some very powerful individuals. To me, it really looks like these individuals have come together uh, because they know that time is of the essence in advancing this agenda. If they wait too long, people will wake up uh, to to the agenda. They can only uh, use, you know, uh, pandemics and lockdowns and all of these strategies we've seen implemented in the past year for so long um, before people are like, well, how does that relate to all this transhumanist tech? And why do you want me to wear this? And you know, all of all of those things, uh, the longer that takes to implement the 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 riskier it is for them, I would argue. So I think Welcome Leap is a way to um, to supercharge this um, by combining some of the most powerful people in various industries and in various worlds, whether it's, you know, Silicon Valley, uh, DARPA neurotech research and the Welcome uh, Trust dominance of, of medical research. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty significant organization that deserves um deserves considerable attention i would i would argue yeah why I wrote well, this piece. <laughs> demonstrably so and uh and and you're very right to point out the timeline of this because there are so many different threads of this agenda that all have lined up around this period in particular things that started ostensibly long before anyone thought of covid or coronavirus but they all started to converge around this time frame um including welcome leap which as you pointed out was first proposed back in 2018 
was it? And uh, Harpa, which has been on the the uh, the blocks for a while and is now finally getting uh, kickstarted, and various other parts of this agenda, the EU vaccine passport agenda that's been again planned for years now. Uh, again, all converging on this time frame. And as you say, uh, that magical 2030 year, we see it again and again and again. So it's clearly there is some sort of rush to a finish line going on at this point. Let's, before we get into what we can actually do about this, let's just introduce people to the creepy programs that Welcome Leap is spearheading. So far, I understand they have four on the table. Yeah, they have four, but actually, as I was writing this, it was three, and then in the middle of the week when I was about to publish it, they create a new one, and then I'm like, oh, all right, well, I have to add that now. So um, even though they've been around for a little over a year, uh, several of these have only launched in 2021, uh, so it seems like they're picking up other efforts now, and I would argue this is part of a, a broader effort of people that were involved in um, developing the policies and narratives of COVID-19 last year have now moved on to plan the post-pandemic phase. Um, another group that's related to the Welcome Leap that I talked about in a recent podcast is called the Trinity Challenge. Uh, they're sort of like the Welcome Leap, but funded by, by Gates and Facebook and Google, uh, Microsoft, um, and EcoHealth Alliance is very much involved with them. So, you know, that's another example, but uh, a group for another day. Um, <clears throat> but um, as far as these programs go, uh, the first one they launched, they call HOPE, the abbreviated is HOPE, maybe so it sounds nicer, um, but it stands for Human Organs Physiology and Engineering. Basically, uh, this program, like several of Welcome Leap's programs, has uh, more than one goal. So uh, the first goal, they say, is to basically uh, develop from, from scratch um, uh, human organ systems that also have uh, their own uh, immune, uh, immune function uh, or own uh, immune system, as it were, that's also synthesized, um, you know, from bio, basically bioengineered uh, from from stem cells and, and other sources. Uh, they claim this is a way to eliminate animal testing, um, which you know uh, I think a lot of people would normally uh, perhaps support because obviously there's a lot of un un unethical things that happen regarding um, la laboratory experimentation on animals. However, these are the same people that promoted, for example, skipping animal trials with the COVID-19 vaccines. So what better way than this platform to allow them to get products uh, straight from development <laughs> into people uh, to try them out by saying by basically having this organ system they say eliminates the need for animal testing, which of course has been used uh, for decades and decades and decades. Um, we'll have to take their word for it that it works and actually replicates the immune system um, and all of this stuff. These aren't exactly the people I'd personally be willing uh, to trust there, but they, they are quite good at selling it under, um, you know, the justification of eliminating, uh, eliminating uh, animal trials and the uh, abuse of animals. But again, it's not like the people involved here uh, care about the well-being of animals or regular humans uh, for that matter. Uh, but the second goal, I think, is really the principal goal of this project, uh, which they say uh, within 10 years will be used to, uh, they hope, uh, to use cultivated or grown organs that are uh, then um, transplanted into people, which obviously would have uh, major implications. But in the short term, uh, they want to develop biological synthetic hybrid organ systems to um, transplant into people 
which obviously, if you look at the transhumanist background of a lot of these uh, organizations or the eugenics background uh, with eugenics and transhumanism, as you pointed out earlier, uh, being intimately related, that is pretty significant. And there's really, you know, if they get to that first point, what will they continue to advance to cultivated organs and all of that? It remains to be seen. Um, it's worth pointing out, too, that very prominent scientists, including George Church, who uh, came under fire for his uh, Epstein funding um, and has a, a lot of um, <clears throat> connections but and was also scrutinized by mainstream media uh, for promoting <laughs> eugenics, um, among other things, is actually involved in several uh, companies that involve either uh, genetically engineering pigs to grow human organs or uh, creating human pig organs to be transplanted uh, into people. Uh, those companies, both of them, um, are actually funded by Boris Nikolic's uh, company Biomatics Capital, Boris Nikolic, uh, being the longtime chief scientific advisor to Bill Gates and the backup executor of Jeffrey Epstein's will, mysteriously, despite not knowing how that happened. Uh, you can believe that um, if you want. Okay, I'm going to leave the Corbett report there. That was from uh, July of this year, July 2021, interview with Whitney Webb. And it's on CorbettReport.com. There's another 45 minutes of that. So if you want to get the rest of the, the projects and, and dive in a bit deeper, there's plenty of material on there. There's a lot of eugenics material on his website as well, so I might be borrowing some of that later on in the year uh, when I decide what I want to do from here. Uh, so the, the, the reason that I didn't have all that much time to prepare the show this week is because I've been preparing a, another show for, for Tuesdays. And uh, with a bit of luck, there'll be a roundtable discussion show coming up this Tuesday, uh, with or without a Mercury retrograde involved. Uh, I've potentially got a, a friend of mine who's a clinical psychologist coming on, so and a, and a friend of mine from Amsterdam. So I don't know how many people will show up, but I've arranged for four people, so if four people show up, I'll be happy. If Mercury gets involved, it might just be me <laughs> sitting on my own on a Tuesday morning. But uh, either way, it'll be a good show. Uh, I'll I'll organise something as a backup plan just in case. Uh, but that's what I've been doing, so I'm hoping that it'll develop into something here locally. Uh, I've now got a connection with somebody who's a journalist and involved in a local TV studio, or I'm about to have a an, an introduction via a friend of mine. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that, that things will develop. Uh, when I started putting out the word for contrib regular contributors, uh, people seem to want to be get involved. So there shouldn't be any shortage of people coming on. It's just a matter of the timing is uh, maybe going to be a bit tricky for some people, but, but we'll see. Um, I know there'll be a couple of people who are regulars, and that's probably enough to, for starters. I don't want too many people involved until I know how, how to manage everything properly. And my technology is not always uh, doing its job in the best way, so I don't want to overload anything. Uh, we'll see how it goes anyway. So it's Tuesday. I think it's 4 o'clock in the morning, Eastern, but it's 9 o'clock my time, which is the important bit. Uh, it means it's my first cup of coffee of the day. And it also means that I'm probably not going to be very talkative some of the time. It's a bit early for me.
But uh, we'll see how it goes. The other people that are coming on are fairly talkative. You can't shut them up mostly. So they should be able to carry the show pretty much while I'm drinking my coffee. That's the theory. And I've got a couple of formats that I'm thinking about. I haven't decided the exact format yet. Uh, what I'm going to do is just try a couple of things while the Mercury's in retrograde and then make a decision when it goes direct. I think that's probably the best way because I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket and then and then have a whole lot of technical issues and and uh, other stuff put people off. Uh, there's always reasons why people can can show up and people re reasons why people can't and I, it's all fine. Uh, particularly the first couple of weeks because I never expect anything to go right the first couple of times I do it. Uh, but then it'll slowly get better and uh, that's that's how we learn, isn't it? That's how we learn. I've not moderated, I've not hosted a discussion group on on Skype. I've done it in in real in the real world. I've hosted philosophy groups. Uh, so there might be some philosophy involved in these in these round tables. I'm not sure yet. It depends uh, whether the the locals want to come on board or not. But up to now, I've got somebody in the States, somebody in the Netherlands, uh, me in the UK. Uh, there's another another lady who said she might come on. I don't know where she's from, but she wants to talk about coronavirus. So if I can coordinate with her, she'll be on this week, if not, probably the following week. And uh, anybody's welcome, welcome to bring research that's kind of the idea is that we all bring the research that we're doing and kind of pool it as a round table and then we can question what's going on question the sources question the assumptions and hopefully get a, a clear review of whether the actual research is is useful or whether there's too many question marks or whatever so that's the plan um I'm open to whatever happens, so I'm not too stressing about it at the moment. I might be on Tuesday, but I'm not at the moment. And uh, as always, you can find me here on a Saturday afternoon. I know May Street's been in the in the chat room. We've got Captain Fred's in the chat room as well. And uh, Pagan Rabbit's joined us. So... Revolution Radio is listener supported. We rely on donations to keep the servers running. And there's two servers running almost 24 hours a day. Studio A, Studio a runs all through the night, pretty much 24 hours. And Studio B runs about 18 hours, uh, depending on what's going on. But uh, it does, does rely on donations. So if you've got any... Any dollars burning a hole in your pocket? If you want to make a contribution, come down to revolution.radio or freedomslips.com and you'll see a donation tab on the top navigation bar. Uh, you can set up a Patreon donation that's monthly or you can make a one-off donation or just have a look in the, in the store and see if there's any merchandise you might like. There's always something you can do. Just making a, making a contribution in the chat room is enough. Come down and say hello. Uh, they're a friendly bunch. Most of the time. <laughs> Not all of the time, but most of the time they're a friendly bunch. Uh, 
Yeah, no, the, I could what I can talk about now. What's, what's the other thing I've been doing is the is the podcast on Podbean. So what I've decided to do because I'm because I'm now I'm this this round table idea came up on my birthday, which is why I've followed it up. So it's it's only been in my head for what, a week and a half, nearly two weeks now. So it'll be exactly two two will be exactly two weeks. Next next Tuesday when it gets running. But uh, I've decided that the radio shows take priority, and Podbean's going to be where I ex- where I do my experimenting. So I'm I'm going to concentrate on the ra- on the two radio shows a week. They all feed back into the into the podcast anyway. So everything I do feeds into the podcast. But the two radio shows are going to be priority, and then I'll I'll do. Like music shows and, and experimental shows on Podbean. Until I work out what I want to do there, because uh, I haven't, I still haven't found a regular, a regular time to do shows there. I keep changing my mind about stuff all the time. Whereas on on Revolution Radio, I seem to just the idea was there, the time slots there, and it fell into place. So that's the one I go with for the for the moment. And there'll probably be ten shows between now and. Christmas. I'll uh, I'll run it for ten weeks, see how we go with it, and then and then review it, and probably run it another ten weeks after Christmas, and uh, adapt it as we go along. That's kind of the idea. But uh, it should be fun. It should be fun. So we've got music coming on shortly. I'm going to jump off, and uh, get myself a cup of coffee. But I'll see you again on Tuesday, Tuesday morning at 4 a.m. your time and 9 a.m. in the UK. Well, thanks for listening. And I'll see you again twice next week. Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Be evasive. But that doesn't mean that they're telling the truth as opposed to fiction. And Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, indicating that there were giants before the Nephilim. And sons of God, plural. They weren't talking about Jesus coming down. No, no, that's right. Uh I'm Steve Crawford, host of Factor Theory Live. Join me every Sunday night from 10 p.m. till midnight Eastern Standard Time on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Check it out.
the heck is the Truth Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad Radio. Federal prosecutors, Department of Homeland Security agents, and curious passersby often ask me, just what is this Truth Jihad thing anyway? Well, everybody knows what truth is, but jihad is a misunderstood term. Jihad means effort or struggle. The greater jihad is the struggle to be a better person, while the lesser jihad is the struggle to defend the community. Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, did say that the best jihad is a word of truth flung in the face of a tyrant. And that's what we do here at Truth Jihad Radio. Every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 7 Pacific, right here on Revolution Radio.